was just trying to figure out how I could make spooky music to intro this thing. One, Welcome two, to another Fits with the Founder. I'm your founder, Nick. <laughs> and I'm here with Cassie. Dra- uh, Dracula? He wouldn't be Dracula. I could be What's Dracula. a scary, uh, scary woman? Um, that's a good question because most of the- Elvira. Elvira's and her name is Cassandra. Ooh, the actress's name is Cassandra. So there we go. And you know, we share other things in common. So there's that. <laughs> well, uh, we're glad to have you back. Um, you know, there's golf happening. It's October, sort of. but there's some golf happening. So let's talk about it. Um, I mean, the big news right now is Rory. Right. So Rory wins the CJ Cup again. He's world number one. People are freaking out about it because it's Rory. I don't get it though. Why? Okay, so you, you win. Okay, you win the CJ, CJ Cup. Great, it's awesome. It's cool. That yeah. golf course looks cool too, by the way. Um, all that seems awesome, but like, I just don't know. Like this whole like, I feel like since Tiger hasn't been number one for like ten years in a mm-hmm. row. Like when he was number one in ten row, it's just been like a willy nilly like around. Like nobody sticks to being number one for sure. a long time anymore. Yeah, I agree with that. I think there was a while like Jordan was for a, a long yeah, time right. in he like twenty fifteen or whatever. Um, but yeah, it's been kind of like everybody moving back and forth. Like it was Scotty for a while. Scotty's the one that Rory took it from, and it's like you're one tournament away from losing it again. Right. Basically. That's maybe that you said it better. You're, yeah. I feel like you're one tournament away from losing it. Yeah. Which I want. Like I like Don. I like Michael Jordan. I like Tiger Woods. I like that. Like Tom Brady, although he looks like a skeleton these days. Speaking of spooky things. I was going to say, he had a bad week this week. (laughs) But anyway, I mean, like, that's what I, I just feel like when they made a big deal out of him being number one, which is great. Good. I like Rory, but it just feels like you're always one way, uh, one loss away from not being number one anymore. Yeah, he's, I mean, he had a really, really good season. So one of the best seasons ever without actually winning a major. So we had three wins, 14 top tens out of 21 stars. So that's actually just incredible. Yeah, Tiger in his 20 was like, Psh, yeah. I know, yeah, but okay, but whatever. We have Rory, <laughs> we have who we have. Um, but he was the top eight in every major. So it's not like he's performing poorly. And then also when you consider all the stress of like the live golf stuff and like he's the one that's been championing the PGA Tour and da, da, da. Like, I don't know, he had a pretty good season. Like yeah. it was good. Um, what, if, what if you were like a live lover and you were like, well, is it really being number one? Because oh, you didn't have to play against Dustin God. Johnson and, you know. There's w- debate going on about that. So that's one of the other things we can talk about is they're kind of talking about either changing rankings for certain tournaments, um, cough, cough, nudge, nudge, majors, um, or removing it entirely so that it won't be a part of like the qualifications to get into the tournament. I don't know. Yeah, listen. I just think the be- if you play on a major stage in a, in a against some good players, it should have some weight on the major uh, uh, when it's, we're talking about world golf rankings. Yeah, I agree. I would whether I agree that Liv should be there or not, that's for another day because I I change my opinion all the time. I do think it's interesting, and but if we're talking, if we're gonna make a big deal about number one spot, yeah. You can't have Dustin Johnson not be a part of that. You can't have Cameron Smith not be a part of that conversation. Like that's right now, that's tough for me. Yeah, but that's the problem though, is the two names that you just named are the only two on the live tour right now where I'm like, they're the ones that would be ranking. You know what I mean? Like the rest of the live tour is made up of people that nobody gives a shit about. Yeah. To a certain extent. So it's like, yeah, Dustin's a big deal. Cam's a big deal, but that's it. Yeah. There's a couple others, but I get your point. I'm with you. We digress on that. (laughs) Every every week. Every week. Um, well, so let's, let's talk about some other good news. So Lexi ended a three-year drought yep, and she won girl. on the ladies European tour. What I will say about this is there, it's funny. So everybody was freaking out about this tournament. It's, it's Saudi backed. 
So I don't know if you know that, but this tournament was Saudi so backed. A lot of things. Agreed, but it was like people were like, I don't understand why there isn't more of a big deal, and these are women. Da 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 da. I agree. Like I don't know why it isn't a bigger deal, but it's also like we've kind of accepted live, so I don't know why we wouldn't just accept this at this. Point. Yeah, hundred percent. Well, by the way, you're gonna have a World Cup there. I mean, there's right. like, I mean, this. The Saudis are doing everything they can to make their image as good as it can be. Sports washing. Yeah, right. Yeah, that's. So they're washing their image with sports, which smart actually. I guess I watch sports. When you got <laughs> and I really don't care about their politics because I barely care about our own politics at this point. So anyway. Well, congrats, Alexi. Either way, regardless of who was back in the tournament, it was she played some dominant golf, um, and it's good to see her back in the winner's circle because we love her. Well, She's we need a that investor. confidence out of her. I think that you know this could be something that really you know, takes her to the next level because sure. she's she's a great player. I think the winning is just a little bit between the ears. And when you get that taste, yeah, you know, maybe there's more to come. I love it. I'm really excited to see what she does with this season. Um, another dominant female, Lydia Ko, yeah. out here winning the BMW Ladies Championship. Yeah, she's kind of making a resurgence now. She had that little lull there for yeah. a while. but They're talking about Lydia Ko 2.0. I'm like, okay, like here we that. go. Kind of, I see it because yeah. she kind of all of a sudden you're seeing her more and more. And that's good because sometimes when you go through those slumps, um, you never come out. And, um, you know, especially in ladies golf, it just seems like at a certain point they're like, you know what, this is enough. And they go start yeah. a family or whatever. Shall we? Yeah, yeah. They or they do that, you know, like something like that. And, and Lydia persevered through and she's back to winning tournaments. I love watching her golf. I, I know we don't get to watch enough LPGA. She's also a club she's junkie. She I don't is. know. If, yeah, I don't know if people pay attention to that, but she's always just got cool shit that in some she'll play stuff that you've like never even heard of basically in the states mm-hmm. she don't care she just whatever's gonna make her play best golf i love that so yeah she's maybe awesome. can we afford to get her on staff too i mean we can reach <laughs> out yeah i i feel like we're she good is with Lexi, agnostic, but <laughs> ever since the pxg you know she departed there she's mm-hmm. basically been agnostic and just plays like crazy stuff that's almost the same trajectory as us getting paged because she was pxg and then she wasn't and then yeah. she's club champion so i don't know yeah. that's worked out for us so yeah exactly <laughs> Um, okay, this is on the list. I really don't want to talk about it, but it's oh, uh, it's the live wants to make the Arnold majors. Well, we kind you kind of mentioned it, whatever. Yeah, but the I idea mean, they're that you can do it. Okay, okay. I'm sorry though. You can call something a major. How fucking hard has the PGA Tour tried to make the Players Championship a major and it hasn't worked? No, you cannot just call something a major. Well, no, it takes time. It takes years. Like, right. It's going to take years. So it has to start somewhere. So. Will it be a major in our, our lifetime? Yeah, probably if they if they stay consistent. I don't think the live will be around for our lifetime. No. So my point is is it's fine for them to try. I think it's interesting. I am interested to watch their new season finale. Mm-hmm. You know, um, I think it's going to be interesting. Um, you know, I, I think if they just started off with one major, like one yeah. thing where they went to a super cool spot and tried to make a big deal out of it, then, yeah, I think it's something. But they shouldn't go overboard with this because I don't think they're going to get the play on no, it. The audacity of being like, well, I'll make my own majors. Okay, enjoy. Yeah. <laughs> but it would be awesome if they actually just joined and... You know. Yeah, if everybody could play nice. Yeah. Yeah. We'll see. I think that will happen eventually, by the way. I think it has to because yeah. you've got all these other governing bodies that yeah, are just kind of no like, winning. stop it. Yeah, there's no winning unless one buys the other. So it's the, at a certain point, both of them to be viable. Um, in my opinion, until- or to have maximum what it's worth, um, you're going to have to blend to, to a degree. Or yeah. Something. It won't happen until after all these lawsuits are either dropped or settled, but we'll see. Um, good news. PGA Tour Rookie of the Year, Cam. Cam Young. Yeah, yep. the other Cam, the one that's a little less controversial right now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
Um, he had seven top three finishes. And I did not know that part. Oh, really? I mean, I knew he was on the leaderboard a lot, and I knew he had some, like, you know, some good finishes and stuff. I didn't know he had seven top three finishes. Crazy. And he didn't yeah. have a win, so that's like no, Payne right. Stewart levels, right? Yeah, that's, yeah, I didn't, I knew he had a lot of top tens. I did not know seven top threes, and he didn't knock open the door once. Crazy. But, that, but I mean, uh, that's just like, yeah, it's coming. Yeah, there, yeah, it's coming. I'm excited for him. Uh, I mean, there wasn't a lot else going on really um, in golf news. So what about club champion news? Club champion news, not a whole lot. No new stores opening this week or next week. Um, Thank God. There, I need to yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I think there's only like one or two left for this year. One, yeah. It was one, but I heard today there might be one sneaking up Ooh. at the end of the year, um, maybe in a Florida market. Um, anyway, but, um, so we don't, we have a little lull there demos wise, uh, I two thirties. I'm sure Ping. by the time this comes out on Friday, it'll be nauseated with all the content on I two thirties, but really good iron from paying, you know, Holly body construction, the waiting, everything about it. I love the look of it. Um, in stores. So go get that. Um, and by the time this comes out, you'll see in the embargo that, uh, Callaway released their big Bertha. Mm -hmm. This is not their big launch. Their big launch will be still normal February. That'll take over for, you know, some older things like Epic and Epic flash and stuff like that. But their big Bertha line was, you know, aging and they needed to, which is more of their game improvement, lighter weight kind of stuff help with the slice kind of stuff. Although I don't want to pigeonhole too much because, you know, we can change anything, but it's really like high end titanium, like performance forgiveness stuff uh, is launching. Uh, I think November 4th might be the day that's the official fitting day, but you're going to see it this week uh, on the interwebs and uh, we will have the demos in store. Yeah. And there's also, uh, I don't think we have the demos yet, but ping eye crossover. Yeah. Ping eye crossover. Sorry. I forgot it. Cause we don't have the demos. It is launched, but uh Demos will be in store for that. If you want a little bit of a utility iron, something to help you in that long iron category, you're not really a hybrid person, flight, uh, high lofted ferrowood, that crossover could be a good option for you. Really good. Matches the I-230s and some of the other lines you can kind of fill in. It's, it's a good stuff. We'll have them though. Yeah. And we did content on all these ping launches and I just watched one of the videos that's going to be launching this week and our tester went, oh my goodness. And the fitter went, ball go far. So we, <laughs> and we've talked about the BGT zone wedge mm -hmm. shafts that I love. Helps you skull it straighter over the green. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> It's a great joke, but I love those. There's just a lot of good product out there right now. Yeah. Raging 2.0. I'm just, I'm going through my whole bag. I'm getting fitted. I'm getting 14 new golf clubs for next year. And I'm excited about oh it. Oh my gosh. Um, we'll have to do another one. We'll have to do like an annual what's yeah. in the bag for you. Yeah. If you haven't seen it, go check out my what's in the bag. Uh, there was plenty of outtakes that um, I definitely kicked my bag at one point. Um, he didn't put that in there. Um, yep. People go, you know, I got... Most people loved it and they thought it was great. There was a couple of comments that were funny. It was like, you're, you know, you, you don't respect your clubs. I'm like, hold on, just relax. If there's one person that knows how to throw a club for fun and mm. jest without breaking it, it's me. <laughs> and just so you know, I'm not promoting you throwing your clubs, but I do have the luxury of taking it back to work the next morning and fixing it. This so, is true. Um, you know, I get away with some things. Not like life's not fair. Like I tell my six year old. Okay. <laughs> So, no, I just wanted to make it fun, and that was fun. But, no, we'll have to do another one. But it's been a long season. I've, uh, I just feel like it's time. Yeah, I, I'm i with you. I liked it. I liked your, your what's in the bag, but I'm going to like doing it again next year, too. Yeah, we'll, we'll have see. some fun with it. And 
It's Halloween week. <gasps> I'm so excited. Yeah, yeah, Cassie Super Bowl. This is my, yeah, it is my Super Bowl. It is my World Series. It is all of these things okay, together. Do you want to give any glimpse into any costume? I know you do a work costume and a home costume. I do. So I will not tell the work costume okay. because I want you guys to be surprised. surprised. Um, you were Bryson DeChambeau last year. I did Bryson last year and then I dressed up as a shark with a name tag the year oh, before and I was right. Greg Norman. Um, this year for home costume though, I my husband and I are going as um, the two main characters in The Mummy, the Brendan Fraser's Mummy. Oh. So he's Brendan Fraser, he's Rick, and I'm Evie. So we've got the whole costume all lined up and everything. Last year, we were the nanny. Um, I was the, the nanny, and he was Mr. Sheffield. The year before that, I was Winifred Sanderson, and he was Billy Butcherson. And when I say that we are these things, I don't mean we fucking phone it in. Like, we got makeup on, we got wigs, we got the whole costume, like, that's branded to be whatever the thing is. Um, it's wild how, that's funny. like, hard we go. Yeah, no, you, you do, and I respect it. I wish I could put the effort into it to do it right, because I like how you do it. Mm -hmm. I just haven't done it. Now, I have, I'm i relying on my wife, who puts this whole thing together, and she does great. Mm -hmm. We are doing, since we, our daughter turned one, we have a daughter now, we're doing Alice in Wonderland. <gasps> oh. And she is Alice. I am, what is it, the king of hearts? Mm -hmm. Yeah, you can I'm the king of hearts, so I have an outfit that's king of hearts. My mom's the Carago cat. <gasps> okay. Right? Is that what it's called? Cheshire. Cheshire. Cheshire cat. Sorry. Cheshire cat. Uh, my wife, I can't remember who she is. My dad is the Mad Hatter. Is oh, the Mad yeah, Hatter. yeah, yeah, yeah. The, my boys, the six-year-old and four-year-old, are Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <gasps> oh, my god. Yeah. So we all have the stuff. Well, who is my wife? I don't remember who queen she is. Queen of Hearts, probably. Oh, she's the Queen of Hearts. Yeah, Sorry. Yeah, I was going to say, you're Queen of Hearts, Hearts. But that's, that, we, yeah, so we have a whole, we're going to be walking down the street. It's going to look pretty interesting. That's so cute. Yeah. Wait, so... Uh, you're taking them trick-or-treating, but not in your town, right? Because you, you live in the farm. Like, there's nobody. Yeah, I, both both places I live are very rural. So we'll go into town. What we'll do is we know neighborhoods, or we'll go to my parents' neighborhoods, oh, things okay. like that. And we'll, the, the, it'll just turn into their neighborhood. That's so cute. We, the last few years, have not gotten a lot of trick-or-treaters, which is, like, devastating to me. Because we dress up the night of, it's... and we're, like, waiting for people to come, and nobody comes. Before <laughs> we moved, um, when we lived in Bolingbrook, and before we moved, we were in more of a, a rural area, right? And so, or not rural area, a, a suburban, neighborhood, yeah. suburban neighborhood. And you're right. There's not as many trick-or-treaters no. anymore. Oh, I don't care. I'm taking, we take, we've done it every year. I take my kids to a neighborhood and we yeah. trick or treat. We, do you guys have safety town? Is that a thing that you're aware of? I, so I just talked about safety town the other day. Did you? Most people don't know what safety this town is. This has got to be a Midwest thing. Yeah. It's a very rural, it's usually more rural too. Okay. Like I didn't, I asked people that grew up in Chicagoland area and they're like, I don't know what you're talking about. I grew up in Romeoville, which is right next to Bolingbroke. Okay, so, so like right, same yeah. general idea. But growing up in central Illinois, we had safety town. They taught you about how to walk across roads. Yeah, everything. So we would do like our safety town in Romeoville was like on Halloween night, you could go trick or treating at safety town. So they had people posted up at like every corner of their little fake crosswalks or whatever. And that's like how you got no, no matter whether houses in your neighborhood gave out candy. If you went to safety town, you got a whole bag of candy. So I was like, like I'm Jones in for stuff like that. Cause it's so cute. Cause everybody in the town gets together. You see all your friends. Like it's super cute. We don't get to do that as adults, but what we did is this last week I was out of office because I was in Salem, Massachusetts. Oh, did you do that? We did, did yeah. We went to go see the witches. Um, was super interesting. I do not recommend doing it in October for anybody who's listening and might be planning that trip because you guys are also spooky bitches. Don't do it. <laughs> Don't do it in October. Um, and then we flew from Massachusetts to Orlando. Why to not do, do it in October? It's so crowded. Oh, yeah. Because everybody else it's is doing the, it. Yeah, it's the holiday. Yeah, it's their holiday. It's basically their Christmas. Like, basically October for all these shops. 
bankrolls the rest of their year because they have hundreds of thousands of visitors. Um, but it's, you guys got to remember, like, it's a small town. It can't accommodate like Disney level crowds. Like you're waiting in line to get to a restaurant for three hours, right? Like you have to get your tickets months in advance to do like tours and things like that. It's crazy. Now, mind you, I'm a crazy planner lady and this shit's been planned since October, October of last year. So (laughs) we were fine, (laughs) but I do not recommend going in October if you don't like walking and standing in lines. But then we turned around and we went to Orlando and did Universal's Halloween Horror Nights for two nights because they do like haunted houses and stuff in the evenings. And it was a banger. Also lots of lines, but. (laughs) Wow. That is an aggressive holiday. Hey, yeah. I love that you take it seriously. <laughs> I'm. This is not a hobby; it's a lifestyle. Yeah. <laughs> cannot c- cannot stress that enough for you guys. Right. Um, all right. So switching back into golf news, we have a really great interview today for you guys with Ryan Roach. He's the director of innovation at Cobra, and we're going to talk a little bit about 3D printing. So we're joined today with uh, Ryan Roach, the uh, director of innovation for Cobra Golf. Uh, He's been there since 2014, but he's been in the industry for a long time, and he's going to tell us all about it. Ryan, thanks for joining us. Uh, Thanks for having me, Nick. Great to be here. So, you know, I guess let's launch into it. I, I, you know, part of what we love to do on this podcast is learn, like give, you know, people can talk about products and we will, but the backstory of how you get into like golf and your love for golf and your love for the industry. So, how did you get into the start in the golf industry and what, like, what came to you? You were like, I want to design golf clubs. Okay. Yeah, this is, uh, it'll be fun to explain this. So growing up in Northern California, I started playing golf club when I was 12 or so, uh, summer camp. And I, and I grew to love it. And I played in high school. Uh, I was always like the sixth or seventh man. So sometimes my score counted, sometimes it didn't, but every day was, uh, nine holes go play nine holes during golf season. So it was, that was great. Right. That was the huge advantage for me. Um, I went, you know, I was, I was good at math. So I went to UCSD as an engineering major, right. I was, I didn't know what I wanted to do. It took me five years to get out of school. Right. Um, best five years of my life. And, uh, I interned at Cobra during my last year there. So there was an internship. I had actually never heard of Cobra at that time, even though I was down in, uh, San Diego area at college, um, parlayed that into a full-time gig at Cobra and, uh, been in the golf industry ever since. So I had a three-year stint at Spalding on the East coast. Other than that, I've been with Cobra, uh, and Puma bought us in 2010. And I came along with Cobra at that time to Cobra Puma golf. So the math and the the math and the love for golf mesh. That's awesome. <laughs> yeah. A couple more things I would say is like I've been in golf my whole career. I haven't really known anything else. So there have been times when I'm like thinking to myself, am I really making a meaningful contribution to society? <laughs> so, you know, I'm yes, like, you a, are. You're making or play or better so golf in the world's problem. Yeah. Yeah. But so I do. I really love what I do. So like I feel like that. You know, my dad used to say, do, you know, if you do what you love, right, that's going to make your life a heck of a lot easier. So I love what I do. And uh, I love the creation aspect of creating things and trying to solve difficult problems. And golf gives me, feeds both of those needs for me. 
I love yeah, that. I always, I always, uh, I, if you've listened back to all our interviews, um, there's a lot of this commonality because we get the question a lot from people like, how do you get into golf? You know, what does it take to be a fitter? All these things. And, you know, but I always joke, I go, I still have never had a job in my life. I never have. I've worked in golf and I don't consider golf a job. It's, it's something I love doing, helping golfers get better at this game. Just you do it from the design standpoint. I do it from making sure they get the right design in their hand for their game. But I love that. Awesome. Yeah, it's so fulfilling. I always love hearing people who have an engineering, it's like, this is a side note, <laughs> who have an engineering background and end up in something super niche like golf club design. I was at Universal Studios this last weekend and I'm a, I'm not good at math. I want to preface this conversation by saying that. <laughs> um, but when I'm looking at roller coasters and like the physics of all of them and like how much fun I have on them, like this is a, that's like a passion thing for me. I love going to Six Flags, Universal, Disney, all those places. And in my head, I'm like, how does one go about like if you're in high school and you're like, I want to design roller coasters, how do you go on that path? And it's always like it always clicks in my head that it's somebody who had an engineering degree and they probably were in physics. Right. And they can figure out how materials yeah. work with the forces of gravity and everything else. And they just were like, you know what? This would be fun. And then like kind of by happenstance end up in it. Mm -hmm. I feel like every designer we talk to in the golf club space, especially in innovative companies like Cobra, where you guys are using a lot of 3D printing and and, you know, fun materials that you wouldn't necessarily see in other golf clubs. I always feel like it's a very similar story where it's like, yeah, I was really good at math and I liked making things and this is where I ended up. So that's super fun. Yeah, I think you're right. Like if I hadn't gone to UCSD, I don't know that I'd be in golf because you think about lots of companies concentrated in Carlsbad, which is just 20 miles up the road from UCSD. So it's actually one of my professors in a composites class is this professor named John Kosmatka, he was like a consultant to Callaway. So when like he was, ha I, <laughs> I jokingly say he was having his students do his work for him. Cause like we were like working on shafts that had like what we call bend twist coupling. So I think the USGA would have said non-conforming on this, but the point is like, as you load it, it, it closes. Right. So imagine if you give that to someone who has trouble with a slice. Right. So that's there was a connection between like academia and, and the, those the big golf companies. Right in the area. So that I think worked in my favor. Um, and I'm very grateful for that. That's awesome. Um, I brought it up. So like I, I can kind of transition into our next question as well. So a big thing for really the golf industry in general, but I, I think really just like a, a trend in the world right now is, is 3d printing, right? Like people are buying 3d printers for their house. People are 3d printing things, mm -hmm. um, you know, just materials for manufacturing in various industries. People are talking about 3d printing car parts, things like that. So, um, huge thing, obviously it's a big thing in the golf industry right now, and it's definitely a trend. And it's something that um, you guys at Cobra have have kind of really made a really big part of your R&D process. So can you kind of talk to us about the 3D printing process, how that ended up in, in your guys' lexicon and why that became kind of the standard for your production? Yeah. So um, I would say, you know, when I first started in golf, their 3D printing was really in its kind of infancy in terms of taking hold. And we, it was used for shape validation. So we, when I came in, it's like, even CAD was like, there's still a lot of hand shaping and some stuff. And so like, as CAD took over and CAD is computer aided design used to help design the club heads, right? You can then have a digital model that you can print and see, uh, see in real life, you can hold it in your hand, what this shape looks like, right? So that is how it started in golf, I would say. And I would say every, 
major company does that and has been doing that, you know, since um, the 2000 or even before, right? Uh, where Cobra, I think, has se separated itself from others and uh, is kind of taken to the next level is that we have we've been monitoring the space uh, because we have some IP in the space that may prevent others from doing this commercially. So we have a keen interest in it. And uh, in terms of our design process, we started looking at making metal prototypes that we could then, you know, quote unquote, functional prototypes that we can, uh, that gives us three benefits, really. it's It saves us time, right? So we can do three iterations of a design before you'd get one design out. And when I say three iterations, make it, test it, redesign it, make it, test it, redesign it before you'd get one out of the normal casting process, for example. Um, the second thing is that you can stay true to the design. So what I mean by that is as designs are getting more complicated and we're using computers to design these things, um, if you try to recreate that just by machining it out of a block and testing it, you're going to lose out on some of the function of the design, right? Or even if you have two parts and you put them together, there's going to be some sacrifice there. So with 3D printing, you can stay true to that design, make that complex shape and test it. And then the third thing I would say is, you know, dollars, dollars come into play here. So in innovation, we sometimes are making one part, maybe a handful of parts, right? And 3D printing may, may be considered expensive to some people. Um, but when you compare it to the cost of making a tool, you, you know, you're still significantly below that, right? So you can, you can iterate faster and do it more often for less money, right? Um, from an R and D side of thing, that's a huge deal, right? Um, Absolutely. No, yeah. I mean, that actually, kind of goes into the next question of like, how, how long do you think until uh, before, like, you know, more like right now, you're three D printing like putters, right, or at least yep. parts of putters. Like, mm -hmm. do you think that's going to go into like other product lines, like drivers, fairy woods, wedges, whatever, that kind yes. of thing, or what? Parts in the industry, do you think that that kind of because I'm intrigued by because, yeah, when I know all prototyping being in the industry for 25 some years, you know, I, I've watched them, you know, they have to real quick mill something out, which isn't perfect, or they got to send it over to a plant and get it, you know, cast it out. It could take forever. The 3D printing just seems like innovation can happen so quickly and so fast. So, do you think it goes into other areas outside of just putters itself? Yeah. And let me uh, also say, like, what I described was like for the R&D process, we still have to make something that we can make in production. So if we're not really taking full advantage until we get to the point where we are doing something commercially with 3D printing, because there's other advantages to that. For example, uh, you can do what we call lightweighting. So you can put some lattice structures in there that give it the, the structure st structural stiffness it needs, but at a significantly less weight. Right. So you have more discretionary weight to play with. That's going to result in improved mass properties and improved performance for the golfer. Um, there's also another key benefit that I would say is um, there's no tooling involved. So to make, let's say, um, you know, a thousand parts that are ever so slightly different from one another versus a thousand parts that are exactly the same, it's kind of the same uh, input cost. Right. So being the, the fitting, you know, gurus and champions that club champion is right. Terrible pun there. But um, <laughs> but you could see where a fitter could then make a club for you. That would be different than Cassie's, that type of thing. So I could see where that it could go that way um, in terms of other 
areas besides putters, um, stuff that's made in steel from the metal side, I think is probably more likely to happen before we get into titanium because of the, there's a significant, like almost uh, 10X type of cost structure from steel to not quite 10X, but steel to titanium in terms of cost to make the part. So where, as we're monitoring the space, we're looking at when's it going to converge on uh, the part quality, uh, the cost, and help and make sure we can make enough of them. And when it does, that's when we want to jump into a commercial project. And we, you know, that's what we saw with the SuperSport 35. We thought, hey, we think we're ready to do this. Let's go do it and and uh, kind of prove it out on the fly. You know, what I think is interesting and what a lot of listeners probably don't know, and I was just talking to some guys that I was playing golf with this weekend you know, they were like, well, what changes? And I'm like, you know, from year to year on a golf club. And I'm like, well, a lot of times it's it's materials and where they can move the weight. And they go, well, what do you mean? And I go, well, I think they didn't even understand. Like, you know, these engineers only have so much weight to work with. Like a golf club can't become all of a sudden way heavier, way lighter. Like there has to be a reason for it. So a lot of times they're really pigeonholed on what weight they can use. And so the idea is how do we use different, you know, how they use different, you know, uh, materials or design structures so that they can create stabilities, but also move weight around the whole 3D printing. And like you said, creating like trust structures and stuff like that probably does allow you and allows a lot of growth down the road on how you can where you can put weight because you can create structure, you know, without weight uh, with it. Would you say that's kind of the right thinking that I'm explaining to people? Yes. Yeah, I think you're you're definitely uh, explaining that correctly. Um, the light weighting and then the, the detail of the structure where it may be hard to cast a certain design because it's got quite a bit of an undercut or it's got like some kind of almost interlocking pieces. Maybe that structure unlocks some ball speed for someone, but you can't make it any other way. Uh, I think it's fertile ground for designers and engineers to change their thinking a little bit to understand what is possible. I think for people that have been, uh, you know, in a career for a while, it's kind of hard sometimes to change that way of thinking because you're, you know, about casting, you know, about forging, you know, about machining, you know, like there's these rules that you follow to make sure that the parts manufacturable. Well, you can almost like crumple up that paper a little bit and write some new rules down on how you would design with additives. So it's still, I think, in its infancy in, in that respect. Another thing I would say is besides the heads, you can 3D, you can print composites. So you can print shafts, right? Actually, our company has IP on 3D printed golf shafts, right? Uh, you can print uh, grips, right? So you start thinking about other components besides the head that you could potentially do this with. And there's a lot of possibilities to improve performance and improve maybe a fit, maybe satisfaction with the golfer. When you guys first started, and maybe this is more of a marketing question because that's how my brain works. <laughs> um, but when you guys first started really bringing um, 3D printed components and, and pieces of components to market and really started incorporating that into the messaging, were you at all worried that golfers and consumers were going to look at it as just like, oh, it's gimmicky and then they're going to move away from it after, you know, for the next product line or whatever. When in reality, you know, as an engineer, like this has so many benefits. You just explained a lot of them. Mm -hmm. I also think there's probably some cost savings as well that can be passed down to the consumer. So there's a lot of reasons why you guys might do this, but were you at all worried about presenting this to a, a consumer who doesn't know all the things that you just said and them thinking like, ah, uh, uh, 3D printing, you know? Yeah. Oh, yes. I think we were worried, we probably are still worried to some degree about that, right? Um, 
you know, once the the shiny new object type of thing wears off and it's like, okay, why are you buying this? You know, like, oh, you could buy it just because it's 3D printed. Well, frankly, maybe for the first time we did it, maybe there's some branch of people that are buying it that way. But so we got to think beyond that, though, as we want to keep this technology and proliferate it into our product line, um, you know, there needs to be the benefit, not just like if the feature is, oh, it's 3D printed. Well, what's the benefit going to be like? That's something that we do discuss internally quite a bit in terms of making sure we're we're doing the right thing and we're creating the product that has the right message. I'd say there's a really good like, uh, you know, like in government, you have like the different branches and they kind of check each other. I think internally in our company and probably in others, too, like you have these checks and balances where we're not going to let innovation just go crazy forever because they're going to make something that we can't sell, maybe even though it's awesome or, or whatever. So we have a good checks and balances between innovation, manufacturing, you know, marketing and sales to make sure that we are kind of politely checking each other to make sure we're we're not going out of bounds, I guess. Yeah, I always think that's pretty interesting because, you know, you're the director of innovation. And so, you know, your job, I'm guessing, is just to make the best performing product ever at, at the same time for who and what do they like? And it's like, you know, I know that from the fitting side because it's like we get people to come in and they're like, I want this. Okay, we understand that and hopefully that works. But what if it doesn't and data suggests otherwise? So you have the science on the side of you and your group um, where sometimes, but, you know, it's not all science, unfortunately. And, uh, you know, it's convincing people. Where's that happy medium, that blend? Yeah, um, that's, yeah, you bring up a good point because, Sometimes there's some heated arguments to go on about like, hey, we, we have the science on our side. But at the end of the day, you know, if you're making something that the consumer doesn't want or that perhaps can't be marketed correctly or marketed uh, in a way that's impactful, uh, it's going to be the greatest club ever that sits on a shelf. You know, <laughs> and, and maybe you get a few niche people that are like, oh, I loved it so much. I bought five sets for each of my five clubs. You know, we've had that kind of situation before, which is great. That's, you know, you like those people. But. Um, it's tricky to get that to, you know, a product and message align that resonates as strongly as you need it to. So, I mean, how um, does, how does it like start? Like, how does the process start for, for like you guys on, like when you design a new product, like what, it what, what yeah. goes into it? So a lot of times what we'll do is we'll start with a question, you know, we have a, an acronym called WACPA or, you know, what are consumers putting up with? And if you want to throw a golfer in there, it'd be WAGPA. What are golfers putting up with? I mean, and basically that means what are the problems, what are problems that we can solve, right? Um, we have these kind of like the, whatever, the elephants in the room or the 800 pound gorillas of, okay, we always want more distance. You know, that, that's that's not really totally true all the time, but it's true most of the time, I will say, I got to say, you know, at the end of the day, it's like distance and then it's making sure that it's playable distance, but Instead of we, we like to approach it kind of from the angle of what problems are we trying to solve? Like what are golfers putting up with? And to do that, we actually we talk internally, but we really talk to external resources as well. We've had roundtables with club champion fitters uh, amongst the innovation team before. Um, so we kind of search around and the fitters are on the front line, right? They're they're seeing how the product's working. They are. Uh, experts at what they do, um, and they if we can get feedback from them on what's working and what's not or what they're seeing, that really informs how we would go about looking for those problems to solve. 
Uh, and that's, I would say, kind of how it starts, um, generally speaking. And a lot of sometimes, of course, marketing is going to come down and say, hey, I want this, you know. And sometimes we're going to push it up and go, hey, we come up with this. Do you want this? You know, um, so. You guys have a benefit that I think a lot. And let me back up. I'm the first person to say before I started working at Club Champion, I was very aesthetically driven in my golf clubs. And to a certain extent, I still am. Right. So um, mm-hmm. sort of backstory <laughs> for me, the reason I ended up getting into golf, it was sort of by accident. But I was like my entry point was Ricky Fowler. And I mean, obviously you guys, Ricky's a staffer for you guys. And I was already a big fan of Puma clothing. And obviously there's a connection between the brands there. So I saw this kid, this little punk ass kid with his flat like brims and his like Justin Bieber hair and his orange outfit on Sundays or whatever. And I was like, man, that's so weird. Like that is not what I think of for a golfer. Right. And he's like this cute boy and like whatever. So I was like, okay, I'm into whatever that kid's doing. And mind you, this is pre-club champion, obviously. So the first like three or four drivers that I ever owned were Cobra because I was like, okay, first of all, Ricky Fowler, obviously that's a win. Second of all, it's like the aesthetic of looking at a Cobra club, even though like functionally a driver's a driver, you know what I mean? Like you kind of have very similar shapes and whatnot. Mm -hmm. And it really, especially when you were talking about women's clubs, which we know at club champion that there's really no such thing. Like a club is a club, no matter what gender you are. But before coming here, I didn't know that. I assumed if it was pink, it was for me. Right. And like something that Cobra did a really good job of when I was first getting into the game and you guys are still really good at is the aesthetics being so different than what you expect from a golf club, right? Like you expect a lot of Chrome, you expect a lot of black, like Titleist has really made kind of a name out of like the blacked out murdered out thing. And like, that's, that's very aesthetically pleasing. And it's also got a lot of performance behind it. However, the first thing I'm going to look at is the Tiffany blue or like pink or yellow or like, you know, red and blue. Like I'm going to look at those aesthetics first and something that you guys do that I think a lot of other companies are kind of sleeping on, especially now that Nike no longer makes um, golf equipment is like bright colors and this kind of aesthetic that it's not just a golf club where it's like, Oh yeah, I'm looking at a set of golf clubs. Like some of your previous lines have looked like race cars, you know what I mean? And Mm -hmm. like, you guys do a lot of the like custom drops where it's like red, white, and blue. And you've got the, like, you know, all the different kinds of themes like that palm tree, et cetera. So I, again, this is the marketing brain. Like if marketing comes down and tells you guys like, Hey, we want something that we can market to women or Hey, we want something that we can market to bears fans. Let's make it orange and blue. I'm making that up because we're bears fans here in Chicago. <laughs> um, and they, they hey, just won last night. The yeah. <laughs> Thank you. With the dumbest, most ridiculous win that we could have pulled out of our asses, but here we go. Um, if, yeah. if marketing comes to you and says those things, It's great that you guys listen, but it's also so unbelievably intelligent from like the consumer standpoint, because I was that consumer. I was the consumer that, again, this is pre-data driven. This is pre-fitting, but I was the one that walked in and I was like, I want that one because it's very, very aesthetically pleasing. And I think you guys are able to combine that with performance. You know, what's interesting about that is your perspective, Cassie, because as a person that's been selling golf clubs since the 90s, Cobra, before it was owned by Puma, was like, you know, it was Titleist. It was it was Black. more the senior club. It was more like either seniors or ladies. It was more of a boring product. It wasn't a bad product. It was just more boring. And then, mm-hmm. you know, after that transition and, and Ricky helped him do it, that that whole wild transition. It's, it's interesting. They did a 180 flip. <laughs> Brian, were, you were there. Were you there for that? Oh, yeah, I was there. So I was there on the equipment side, too. You know, so I, I you know, I was 
in the 2000s, I was on the design side more, not on the innovation side. And we, we started the innovation group in, I guess, 2014 or 2015, you know, and that's when I splintered off into that. But I will say it took a while and maybe to some people, it's still taking a while to kind of shake that image that a cushion had put us in, right? As the kind of seniors, women's brands, um, slower swingers, maybe not the top of the pyramid, right? And in, I could tell you some, some stories about how like, you know, we'd, we'd get a tour player and he's a COVID person. And the next thing you know, like Tom Crow, you know, was the, was the founder. He was really good at making these connections with these tour players. And all of a sudden, like we'd get a, get a player. And then next thing you know, a couple of years down the road, oh, that's a Titus player now, you know, like the, the, the mothership kind of took them and said, okay, you're going to be a Titus player now, you know, like, so that was frustrating. So to be out from under the cushion umbrella was helpful from, from us that work there because now we are kind of free to make, everything we want to make and know that it's going to get a hopefully a fair shake i mean of course the cushionet machine is very strong and so their sales force is very strong so even if we were getting pushed like our better player iron was getting pushed like literally as the sales reps walking out the door you know because they've already talked about everything else it's still was getting pushed right in some degree uh maybe not as quickly as an ap2 was getting pushed right so um those those were like the growing pain struggles to go from okay, we're part of a cushion it to now um, Puma owns us and they're doing things differently and they wanted to shake it up. And some of that stuff was pretty loud, right? And as Ricky's kind of evolving his style, I feel like our company's kind of evolving our style as well. It's still got that different edge, but it's maybe not like as polarizing as it was um, in the past. I'd say we're trying to keep that difference with still making you know classing it up for sure yeah, yeah i agree i agree with that I, i've seen it i mean from the outside looking in that i and i think it's good i think it's a nice blend and i think you know the products you guys make these days in fact we were talking about your product on the golf course today because somebody was saying they had heard something about this new cobra driver and blah 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 and i said yeah and, and it's it's cool that you know i think some of the r d and some of the products you guys are putting out are some of the best out there and I don't know if like the past has helped you always and you you kind of alluded to how that kind of happened, but it's now coming to where people are like Cobra makes good stuff for everybody. It's awesome. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's great to hear. Great to hear. So here's a selfish club champion question. Okay. So how does club fitting play yeah. in your R&D process? Okay. So yeah, that's a good one. Um, I'd say, you know, we talked about it. Previously, like fitters are like that touch point, right? And so we, in innovation, we used fitters a lot uh, to assess what the needs are, but also to validate our product. So we have internal fitters, and then we have our network of fitters, and then we have, you know, other like, club champion fitters or other, you know, the company fitters. And to get the product into the fitters' hands is really kind of where the rubber meets the road for us. Like, okay, how is it going to be? How is it going to compare to our previous product? How is it going to compare to the competitors? And there's no BS anymore. It's like, hey, this is unbiased. The fit tells you what it is, right? And it's important for us to get that, that our product out on time so that we can get it in the hands of these elite fitters because that just informs us so much on future product, but even how the current product is going to do, I would say. Um, and we'll know if... I think, for example, with LTDX, um, you know, I think our product line was really strong, especially like the low spin driver, right? And so we saw that initially, like this thing's winning, like every fit, you know, like 
Um, maybe the sales numbers don't reflect that, you know, at times, but we know like we put that up against anything and it will win or hold its own. Right. You know, and of course we're hoping for that every year and we're, that's what we're striving for. That's why we're here. Right. Um, but those fitters being able to access them and get the, the feedback from them about our product is, is so important to us. Yeah. Uh, I think something that helps our fitters in stores specifically with Cobra product is your guys's ambassador roster. So like I, I already talked about Ricky. We already know I love Ricky Fowler, <laughs> um, but you guys also, me too. <laughs> I, he's amazing. <laughs> um, you, you guys also kind of step into categories and territories that I feel like some OEMs are not afraid to do, but it's just a little bit of a less proven territory. A good example of that is like Kyle Berkshire, long drive, like massive long drive champion, incredible athlete. You guys have Bryson, you guys have a lot of other people that, I think um, some brands may or may not have taken a chance on. And also some categories, like I said, long drive is something that you don't necessarily think of when you think of brand ambassadors. But like that's a very specific type of product that has to be designed for that type of use. Right. And you guys are stepping into those categories in ways that I think other OEMs aren't. So it gives you a little bit of a wider net to cast because your product and your brand shows up in places that aren't just the PGA Tour. Um, And a good example of that, that is kind of you know, cohesive with club champion is Lexi Thompson. So you guys have some LPGA um, athletes. Lexi Thompson is one of them. We love Lexi. She's incredible. And she is one of those people. And I've gotten to see this firsthand because we've, you know, we've shot commercials with her. We've worked with her in person. She is the most incredible athlete that I think I've ever been in the room with. And she's driving so far and so beautifully. And like her swing is so perfect. And you guys you know, you have somebody like that on staff who's able to give you feedback. So I'm just curious, like all of your ambassadors, but Lexi in particular, how has tour feedback and um, professional athlete feedback really kind of worked into your innovation process? Yeah, uh, it's a great question. And uh, we're so happy to have all our staff members and especially Lexi, um, you know, she's, she's an icon really when you think about it. Right. And so um, what, you know, Lexi is very discerning about what she likes uh, and when she likes something, she is a bit hesitant to change it. So it makes it a tough problem for us, you know, to like, okay, how do we improve things? You know? Um, and we get a lot of feedback from her through our tour manager, Ben Showman. Um who's a character in his own right, if you've ever met him and uh, a good character, of course. And uh, so in terms of Lexi, um, she's really helped us with uh, like turf interaction on irons, right. Um, and feel and shaping on irons. Uh, I know are, are three things that come to mind. Um, and she's really integral in testing, you know, our development prototypes uh, for, you know, for tour level, but also for, uh, you know, less accomplished golfers, uh, whether it's a men's or women's product, right? She's a, you know, a pro elite level golfer and to get the feedback from her is, uh, in all our, in all our uh, ambassadors is, is really invaluable to help us kind of fine tune and learn, learn quickly. It kind of goes hand in hand with 3D printing. Like if we can learn quickly, we can make the product better, faster. Right. And that's, that's what we're trying to do. Yeah. That's awesome. And I feel like people like her, like you said, she's very discerning. I think, and you know, Kyle and Bryson and all these people that are using clubs for very specific reasons, I feel like it has to fit into whatever their niche is. And if you guys Mm -hmm. are able to kind of pivot and do the things that those athletes need, and these are athletes that are performing at such a high level, just like personally, like Lexi is in the gym every day, right? She's out driving most of the women in terms of driving distance. Like 
in some cases, she's not driving the men. Like this, these are people that are using clubs in a way that your average Joe golfer is not using. And if you're able to produce clubs for those needs, then, you know, if you're able to walk it back a few levels for an amateur, you guys are, are set because you're, your challenges are really up there at the top of the mountain with some of these elite athletes. And if you can solve their problems, then you can absolutely solve problems at the amateur level. <laughs> I agree with you. And it's interesting with, you know, with Bryson and Kyle, we're approaching, you know, areas that just have, haven't really been studied a lot in terms of the speeds that we're seeing. So you start, you know, making some eye-opening discoveries and, and, uh, if you can make products, you know, that perform for them, you know, some of that cascades down to products that the the meat of the bell curve, so to speak, will be able to uh, get performance from. For sure. All right. Let's talk the future. I don't know what you can tell us, but let's find out. <laughs> um, so what what's next for you guys? Do you have anything coming up? Obviously, we're kind of getting to the end of the year. Is there anything you can tease for us that's coming up um, in terms of Cobra equipment? Um, well, you know, uh, I'd say if you follow golf equipment, you know that there's going to be probably launches coming, you know, new launches coming, uh, every year. So of our mainline stuff. So we know that's coming. I don't, um, I can't reveal too much, but I can share a couple things. Um, I saw it. I can preface your comments by, I've seen what's coming for 2023 and I think it's going to be a home run. That's all I can say. Bobby. <laughs> Right on. Well, that's good to hear. I, I mean, I think we feel the same way. Um, during our sales meeting, we had it at uh, Torrey Pines. And uh, I don't know if you've ever been to Torrey Pines or just in that area, you know that there's uh, Miramar's close to there, right? So Miramar, you know, Top Gun, now that's switched over to the Marine Corps, but they still fly a bunch of fighter jets out there. And there was... <laughs> It just, it was a coincidence, but there was a lot of fighter jets flying over during the sales meeting. And some of us thought, was that intentional? So that's a little, <laughs> little teaser for you. I was going to say, people um, are going to be listening to this in January and be like, hold the phone. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a little teaser for you. Um, a couple other things I would say is like, we see fitting, you know, in our, you know, I'm sure you have all the data, but fitting's trending up, right? Fitting's positive, it's growing. Uh, as the USGA is putting, um, uh, restrictions on some things, right? To, uh, on equipment, right? How do you squeeze more performance out of new equipment? You know, and I'm of the belief that, you know, and we're going to innovate till the end of time and there's always going to be something better, right? Maybe I don't know what it is yet. But, and maybe people don't know, but it's going to happen, right? It's always going to happen. But with the USGA putting restrictions on, it becomes a little more difficult to squeeze some performance out. But what you can do is, you know, you get fit for the club, Right. And it really maximizes the performance that that club has in it for an individual golf. Right. Um, so I can say that that is something that we're definitely keeping in the front of our minds. And how can we make products that fitters love because A, they work. Right. And B, easy to use. And C, they solve the problems that the golfers have. Right. Um these may or may not be 3D printed in the future, maybe both, right? Um, but when you think about some of this, real quickly, some of the stuff we've done with Tor with 3D printing, you know, Bryson's playing a fully 3D printed set of irons, right? Uh, we've Why did we do that? Because he's got some weird specs, right? He's got some unique specs that are a little bit different than our main line. So how do we uh, get those made when you can't just machine because it's not just a muscle back. So you have to make them a different way. So that's been huge for us. Like, so if you can do that for him and, you know, Jason Duffner's looked at some different offsets, 
Ricky, we did a bunch of putter stuff for where we're trying a bunch of different things, trying to zero in on what his what he wants. If we can do that for tour players and there's no investment in tooling, I think it's pretty logical to say that someday we can do that for club champion customers. That's awesome. As well. And that could be a pretty big game changing thing. Yeah. I hope. And that's kind of what you guys do. You okay. like to change the game. <laughs> yes, absolutely. We're awesome. not here to just take a participation trophy. Oh, <laughs> He's coming, coming from yeah. my millennial self with that participation trophy <laughs> comment. <laughs> I see how it is. All right, Nick, you ready to do some yays and nays? You know I am. Let's awesome. do it. All right. So, Ryan, we'll start with you. So since you're a guest, you can give us the first answer, but um, we'll start with kind of an easy one. And I I think I already know Nick's answer to this one as well. So yay or nay member guest tournaments. (laughs) Well, I'll say I'm still waiting for an invite to one. You've never done one. I know. I'm, you know, I'm about a 13 handicap. So maybe I'm not the perfect person to come to a member guest. Actually perfect. Yeah. (laughs) If so, you're a 13 maybe, can play to a 13, that's perfect. Maybe I'll invite you. <laughs> yeah, so I don't, you know, my best round is going out with friends. None of us are members of clubs, but we, you know, we, there's a bunch of courses around here. Just having, having a good time with friends out there on the course is what I want. And if that, if you can bring your friend that's a guest to your club and play, then more power to you, I guess. <laughs> Yeah, for me, for me, member guest tournaments are uh, like the Super Bowl. Okay, it's like I, I look forward to these things. I mean, the camaraderie, uh, the trash talking, the uh, the gambling, the cocktails, the just trying to win these things. I mean, typically you're playing just a bunch of matches against a bunch of good uh, people that share the same common thing. Is just want to play golf, and to me, yeah. it's fun. And uh, you know, I. Uh, I obviously do them at the club I'm at, but uh, I don't know if I've ever turned down an invite to play in one. But uh, <laughs> and I think they're great. Like to your Brian, I mean, like I said, like the handicap parts of it's beautiful. These things are set up for any ability. Um, as long as you can play to your handicap somewhat, you'd have fun doing it. Yeah, I mean, I'm excited to play one someday. You're making it sound really good. Hit, hit, nudge, nudge. <laughs> I have also never been invited. I knew I, I knew what Nick's answer was going to be, but I've also never been invited. But that's because I'm probably I'm a yay in the sense that I like anything that gets people to play golf. Like if you're getting out and you're having a good time and like Nick mm-hmm. said, there's camaraderie. It's it's a fun environment. Um, it's a competitive environment for people who are into that. I'm a yay in concept. I am a nay personally because it's too competitive for me. Like I oh. I don't care what my handicap is. The idea of like putting my <laughs> golf skill on the line to potentially like try and win something with a partner. And especially because I would be the guest, not the member. Like I don't want to embarrass that person. <laughs> so I'm not I into you. it. I feel you right there, Cassie. Yeah. I'm not into it at all. Like it's every time I like what, before I got into the golf industry, the only like experience that I had with handicaps was bowling. I was a competitive <laughs> bowler. But people would like, it's the same thing in golf. People would like sandbag their handicap. So that way, when we went to tournament, they would essentially get all the extra points or pins. I'm, I'm not sandbagging when I say like my handicap is garbage, but I always feel like I'm going to come in with this high candy, high handicap and people are gonna be like, Oh, but you're actually good though. Right. You're just sandbagging. Like, no, I suck. Why did you invite yeah. me? Like, <laughs> and heaven forbid you get a birdie on a hole and they'd be like, what? See, yeah. Yeah. Be like, she's a liar. I like, no, I, I fucked up, but in the right <laughs> direction, that's what happened. Like, I don't, you guys don't understand. Anyway, <laughs> so oh, I'm an, yeah. I'm a nay. Um, all right. Yeah. 
we'll start with Ryan again on this one. Uh, yay or nay, copper finishes on irons and wedges. I'm a yay on these. Um, I am, you know, I guess I'm all for choice and option for people. And uh, I think they look great. Um, do I have them in my bag right now? The answer is no, but that's mainly because I'm playing a, a game improvement set that we don't make the copper in. But like, um, why not? Don't hate on people that like copper. You don't have to buy it, you know, unless there's supply chain issues and you have to buy it. But um, I'm here for choice. All right. Nick. Yeah, I, I'm, a, I'm along the line. I love options. As you know, I geek out all my golf clubs. Um, I do. I even take golf clubs that and have them finished at third parties just to have them done. So to me, this <laughs> yeah. is fun. It makes it interesting. Uh, it's an option and um, huge yay. Okay, you guys are going to make me be the jerk. Um, the diplomatic answer is I agree with you on choice. I think that there's, I, I love black finishes, chrome finishes, raw finishes, blue finishes, whatever. Like, that's fine. I, I love the idea of choice. However, <laughs> personally, <laughs> personally, there's no amount of money in the world that could get me to play copper finish clubs. It is so ugly. It wow. looks like you're playing like... Oh God, no. It looks like you're playing ugly, like penny coated, like golf clubs. <laughs> I want to be able to see my reflection and not look like I've got loop. Like they it's look so, so cool bad. in the bag. No. You don't think they look no. cool in the bag? I don't. They look terrible oh, in the bag. Oh man. <laughs> I, I, can't. I sold, I sold some sets of Cobra this year just because of the copper finish. And I, I actually, you know how it is. I, I fight golfers like, no, nah, that might not be the right club for you because of whatever. It's all performance-based for me, right? Sure. And they're like, oh, I got to have them, though. I mean, they're going to be so cool. I'm like, well, then that's fine. But just know it might not be the right one. <laughs> to Ryan's point, he's playing the clubs he should play. They don't make them in copper. Yeah. When I try to argue that with some golfers, they're just like, no, I got to have the copper. It looks No. Sick. The but worst that, thing, know. the thing that hurt my feelings, and Ryan, I'm coming for you on this one. The thing that hurt my feelings <laughs> was there was the Ricky Fowler, like, special release irons that oh, were like, like the RF irons and they were copper coated. I was so mad. I was like, I would buy these irons if just to have like on a shelf because you're not going to play those irons. They were raw. Like the moment you get them wet, they're done. So it's like I would put these on a shelf somewhere just to look at them because they have Ricky Fowler's name on them in the same way that people do with like Tiger Woods and all that stuff, whatever. Like I would buy these if they were any other finish. I was so mad. It hurt my feelings. I was personally offended. Oh, I am so sorry to hear that. (laughs) It's fine. We sold all the sets, so it's not like you needed me to buy it, but not the point. (laughs) Well, I hear you. It's it's polarizing, I guess, but uh, for sure. I do think I will take that under advisement. I take that under advisement, Cassie. (laughs) Next time you put Ricky Fowler's name on something, you better make it chrome. (laughs) Yeah. We'll Um, send you like one random prototype that we made like chrome and then that'll appease you. Yeah. How about that? I'll put that on display. That that makes sense. That's right. Thank you. All right. Uh, yay or nay, we're getting out of golf topics now and we're getting into my world. Uh, we're getting into Halloween. Yay or nay, trick-or-treating. I'm on the treat side, not the trick side. I will say that first and foremost. Uh, I've got two kids, so of course I'm a yay on this. Mm-hmm. Um, just don't ask Just don't ask me to uh, take the candy to the dentist. I'm going <laughs> to take it to work. I don't know if people yeah, around here are dentists buy back candy, but I'll take it to work. Or I'm going to end up leaving it in the cupboard, whatever we don't eat, and it'll find it come Easter. So that's People what happens. buy back candy? What do you mean? Dentists buy candy off Dentists, of people? It's like a racket. It's a racket. You know, we should crack down on them. Where's the USGA of dentists to do this? Um, <laughs> wow, I didn't know I've that. never heard yeah. of that. Yeah, oh. that's a big deal around here. But California is rolling on another level. 
Oh, you, yeah. That's the last straw. Really. <laughs> okay, Nick, what about you? Trick or treating, yay or nay? Uh, big yay. Uh, and I'm big on the trick and treating. So, <laughs> in fact, me, me, my five year old, or my six year old and four year old just TP'd a house literally last weekend and they thought it was hilarious. Um, <laughs> I did too. But no, we're, I'm a big, I got three kids. So it's fun time of year doing all the, you know, going around trick or treating that whole thing. It's fun. I'm a big yay. But uh, in this conversation, I am the odd man out in the sense that I do not have children. So I probably trick or treated until I was 16, which is far too long to do it. Um, but I'm like very big into like Halloween costumes and dressing up and I go very intricate. I, I actually do two costumes a year. I do one work costume. Actually, last year I dressed up as Bryson. Um, <laughs> like I had like the lab coat and I had the page boy cap and I was walking around with like a Cobra club, like a one length club all day. And I had like a little beaker cause I was the mad scientist and I had, it was great. Yes, <laughs> anyway, yes. I go super hard. Um, so for me, trick or treating is more of like the amalgamation of all of that. And I still remember, like, I don't remember a lot of my childhood, like any, anybody else, like you don't remember specific days. Right. But there are specific instances in my life that stick out in my brain of like, it was too cold on Halloween night or whenever we were trick or treating for me to actually go out or it was too cold and I had to wear a jacket over it. And I remember it being some of the worst days of my childhood because I couldn't wear my costume out to trick or treat. <laughs> oh man, what a bummer. Yeah. yeah you live in California, so you don't know. Yeah, that's right. That's right. <laughs> um, I love trick or treating though. I'm not as big onto the trick. So kind of, I'm kind of with you, Ryan. I I've never TP'd a house and I don't think I ever will. Um, but yeah, you I, know what another good, another one is spotlighting. You take big spotlights. I buy them at like Walmart hmm. and you go up to a house, like when after dark and you like three people cornering the house, it's like one on each side. And then all of a sudden you synchronize turning them on at once. The people inside will go nuts. What is wrong with you? It's hilarious, though. It's so much fun. Oh, man. Where did you come up with yeah. these? Like, TPing is obvious. Where did you come up with that idea? You want to know another one we used to do? Oh, uh, I haven't done this in 15 years. But when they throw out the Christmas trees at the end of the year, you know, everybody, we have a day where you put them out on the the whatever, by the road, mm -hmm. and they pick them up. Well, we used to go collect them. Like, we collect like 30 of these Christmas trees, and then we plant them in a lawn overnight of like somebody's house we knew, right? And then we oh. ding dong ditch and they'd come out and see 30 trees standing up in their lawn oh, <laughs> in a forest out of their lawn. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you, man. Oh, God, you're on another. And like everything you just said is like, I can tell you live on a farm because that's such a farm prank to do. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 100%. Like, I'm going to plant these trees and then run away. Like, well, we didn't okay. really plant them. Like, we didn't ruin anything. Now that they suck because they had to carry 30 trees. And probably when the person came to pick them up, we're like, why does this person have 30 trees on there <laughs> <laughs> along the thing? We'd like, we'd like stack them up. We'd make them so we didn't ruin their lawn. But it was nicer when there was snow because then we could just kind of plant them in the snow. Oh, we're good. Oh, my God. You're a menace to society. <laughs> the spotlighting one is really good, though. Somebody did it to me once and I about died. I had a heart attack. <laughs> I was only like 20 at the time. And I was like, what is happening? <laughs> UFOs. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> Being abducted. Yeah. All right. <laughs> uh, we'll start with Ryan again. Yay or nay, caramel apples. I'm a big yay on this. Um, I would say, uh, you know, you, you trick yourself into thinking it's healthy because you're eating an apple, you know? So, like, I like that aspect I mean, it, of it. It, it is, right, delicious. though, Ryan? Ryan, it's healthy, yeah. right? 
Yeah, of course. Okay, and it's delicious. <laughs> Any kind. Nuts, no nuts. Like, you give it to me, caramel apple, all year round is where I'm going. Yeah. Nick? Well, I agree with that. And I, I'm the same way. Trick yourself and, oh, I'm eating <laughs> apple. You know, the caramel, yeah. a little caramel, it won't hurt you. Um, <laughs> but, no, I, I'm with him. And my wife, you know, she loves them, too. Like, our whole family loves them. And, and especially this time of year, she buys all the crazy ones. I think they've gone a little too overboard with adding too many things to caramel apples. I like just a plain caramel apple, maybe a little nuts on there. But uh, that little known fact about me, I've never had a cavity and I turned 40 in two months. Oh, okay. So you eat the wow. apples and then brush the teeth right afterwards. Maybe. Well, no, maybe it's the apple. It's healthy and it's keeping me, you know, yeah. strong. Maybe you're selling your candy to the dentist. You don't know that. <laughs> I, that is a, I'm like, Cassie, that's a new one for me too. Never yeah. heard of that. That's wild. Yeah. All right. I am a big yay on caramel apples. What I will say is, and this is, I don't know if this is a Midwest thing or if this is an everybody thing. Um, one of the most popular treats when we would go trick-or-treating were those stupid caramel apple suckers. It was like green on the inside. Yeah, it was. They're fucking gross. Like it's so nasty. Like I suckers, actually kind of like those. Oh you god, you're like just those? wrong. Oh. <laughs> it's so. Gross. It's like you never see them any time. other time of the year. It's like where did these come from? It's yeah, like, it's like candy corn. It's like they oh, trot yeah. this out for two months. I was just about to say candy corn. Do you not like candy corn? I love candy corn. I I like two pieces of candy corn and then I'm done. Well, yeah, you can't eat a lot. It's all sugar, but Ugh. I mean, I love candy corn though. It's see, I I like the concept of candy corn. I like the aesthetic of candy corn, like the orange, yellow, white, super cute. Cannot eat more than two pieces of it without vomiting. But that's kind of how I feel about those stupid suckers because they like coated in caramel and then you get through the caramel and it's like, oh, now I've got the shitty green apple flavored thing that I got to eat. Like, this is dumb. But if you're actually doing a real caramel apple, like an actual one, I'm not as I'm not trying to convince myself that it's healthy. Like, great. It's fruit. Okay, fine. But I love the flavor of it. And I could eat like 10 of them. Like you guys said, with nuts, without nuts. I'm kind of with Nick. If you start throwing like M&Ms and stuff on it, I'm out. Like, I'll just eat a bag of M&Ms if that's what I want. Right. But um, the caramel apple flavor is like one of my favorite things. And the moment they start coming out in stores, I'm like, yes, it's spooky season. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Last one. Ryan, yay or nay, fall flavored beverages. So you can do alcoholic like Oktoberfest or you can do non-alcoholic like cider and pumpkin spice lattes, things like that. Okay, so I'm a yay on these with the caveat. So the yay is I am pretty much fully in on most seasonal drinks. I do like a pumpkin spice latte in the fall, gingerbread latte in the holiday time. I love a good shamrock shake at come St. Patrick's Day. But uh, I got to draw the line at pumpkin flavored beer. Yeah, you know, uh, I love beer, but I'm not going to have pumpkin flavored beer. Amen. <laughs> Ryan and I are aligned on a lot of these. By I was going to say, you guys yeah. are like spot on for all of these questions. Yeah. I yeah. mean, I like beer, but I don't want a pumpkin. I don't want pumpkin tasted beer. I don't know what that doesn't sound good to me. I, know. I don't really like any kind of flavored beer for the most part. I'm a pretty boring beer guy. But yeah. don't you drink like Coors or Miller? Just Miller's Light will be fine with me. Like if we go to like people like going and doing these like beer tours and things like now and I'll go to like a brewery and I'm like, I'll taste one just to see. Like there's a brewery near here that's pretty good. But most of the time, just a normal beer is all I want. <laughs> but yeah. do you like what about like do you like cider? Uh, I'm all in on. Well, first of all, I think I overdosed on cider this past weekend <laughs> and I'm sick to my stomach. I love cider. <laughs> 
And I only let myself drink cider in October. It's a rule because I can overdo anything and I overdo cider when I drink it. Um, and then I get a, tum- a stomach ache. So, yeah. Um, yeah. and then pumpkin spice is like, and I'm with Ryan on this, whether it's gingerbread, whatever. I don't know about the shamrock shake. I don't even know if I've ever had one of those, believe it or not. But the others, I'm all in on all those too. Like I'm in on, I just like my little flavor. Like right now my wife buys for, cause I like putting a little creamer in my coffee in the morning. Some like, and I do like almond milk creamer and they make like a pumpkin spice almond milk creamer and it's delicious. Ooh, that sounds good. Yeah. yeah, you guys live in flavor country. I don't. Um, I'm not. Okay, so I'm a yay in concept for most of these things. So I will preface this by saying, and our listeners kind of know this because I've said it before, I don't drink a lot. So like, I'm not a big drinker. I never really have been. If I drink alcohol, it's like a truly or a white claw. And if I'm being honest with you, I get through like a third of it and I'm tipsy. So I, I don't even finish it. <laughs> so I'm not like Oktoberfest doesn't do anything for me. I'm kind of with you guys like pumpkin flavored beer. I don't really like pumpkin flavored anything. And I also don't drink coffee. So like pumpkin spice lattes just mean nothing to me other than like, ah, oh, season, it's fall. Okay, great. But I'm not partaking in it. So I will preface it by saying that I love cider. I think I mentioned that I was at Universal Studios. I did their Halloween Horror Nights thing. and. Again, I don't usually drink, but I was one white claw or half of a white claw in on Saturday (laughs) and they have a pecan pie cider. It's like alcoholic, but it's pecan pie cider. And we got my husband and I got one and I was like, oh, I'll take a couple sips because like that sounds fun. You know, it's like different flavors and it's very seasonal. I drink that whole the whole glass. I drank the whole glass because <laughs> it was delicious. Like fall flavors are the best flavors. And I don't know what it is about. I was also, again, I was like out celebrating and like there was haunted houses and I was like, having a good time. I was also probably super dehydrated. So I was also thirsty, but like it was the best thing ever. So if you're throwing apple cider on something, I'm drinking it. Like I don't even care. Um, And all the other flavors, like if it's got cinnamon in it, I'm probably going to try it. Like gingerbread's very cinnamony, you know, for Christmas. I'll probably try it. But as a general rule, I'm pretty chill with my flavors. Like I'm not going to branch out and try new things if I don't have to. But something just sparked for me at Universal. I was like, let me get that pecan pie. And I slammed it. (laughs) Okay. So I know we got to wrap this thing up and it's in, we're a golf podcast, but this is interesting. A couple weekends ago, I had my brother-in-law made two different ciders. He made one called an apple, caramel apple. So it had uh, green apple vodka, caramel vodka. I think Smirnoff makes both of them. He took cider and he took um, what's the wine that's sparkly, like, like Prosecco or whatever. Prosecco. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. Moscato. And he mixed that all together. Unbelievable. Tasted like a caramel apple. But I mean, I tell you what, you can only have like a glass because with all that alcohol in it, it'll screw you up. <laughs> And then he made a second, he found these online. I don't know where. And then he made a second one where it was, uh, it was fireball, uh, cider and Prosecco. And that one was really good too. I mean, both of them were delicious, but yeah. See, Man, those, I would taste that. cool. <laughs> yeah. They're delicious. They were, um, I told him, I'm like, what made you want to make these? And he's like, I don't know. I saw him. I thought it was like that time of year. And I'm like, okay, whatever. And he pours me a glass of the one. I'm like, that's pretty good, actually. And then he, <laughs> he, when I got done with that one, I'm, he's like, try the other one. I'm like, okay. And I'm like, wow, that's really good, too. You, you can't drink much of it because just between the cider and all the liquor, you, you'd be messed up. But uh, they were pretty good. 
Oh man. All right. Well, technically it's a golf podcast, but people drink while they golf. So I feel like this is tangentially related. Sure. (laughs) Yes, totally. Um, All that said, we will wrap it up. Ryan, thank you so much for coming on. We really appreciate you and all the designs that you do at Cobra. Um, We're always excited to see what new products you guys put out and we'll be happy to talk about whatever's coming in the near, uh, near future in the coming months. So thank you so much for spending time with us. Well, thank you for having me. It was a real pleasure and uh, looking forward to talking in the future, hopefully. Hey, everybody. Thanks for listening to Fits with the Founder. Remember to rate, review and subscribe to support the show. And if you want more equipment content, follow Club Champion on Instagram. 